Today's episode of the NFL Show is brought to you by State Farm. When you need a game plan for protection, State Farm agents are here to help. With personalized service, agents are available to talk in person, over text, or through the State Farm app. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. Find an agent in your neighborhood today. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice, in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. You can ask your Google Assistant to help with routines throughout your day. Say one command and the Assistant can do multiple things. For instance, once you've set up a morning routine in the Google Assistant app, you can just say, hey Google, good morning. And the Assistant can take your phone off silent, adjust compatible lights and thermostats, tell you about today's weather, your commute, what's on your calendar, and then play music, news, or even this podcast right where you left off. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? Robert Mays, huge day of the NFL. But I would be remiss if I did not point out that Hugh Jackson has emerged, according to Bruce Feldman, as a strong candidate to be Herm Edwards' offensive coordinator at Arizona State. So we have all, we have we have a ton to get to, but Hugh is back. That sounds like where Hugh Jackson would end up, right? That, that sounds like <laughs> Hugh Jackson's fate in the in the NFL world, in the football world. I saw him on first take last week, and I've seen him on some of the Fox shows, and it just seems like he keeps going on these shows. He's available. On. He's available. He's available, and also just the host, whoever it may be, they just keep making fun of him, and it, it can't be. He has to be sitting there, like I can't, I can't keep doing media. So, Who is recommending is. to him that he go on these shows? I think that, I mean, I can't believe we're ever stopping talking about Hugh Jackson, but I, I, I think that he probably is just sort of bored. He's a nice guy. He's a nice person. Yeah. And he goes on these shows and all of a sudden he's talking about, you know, how, how he screwed up. It's fine. It's no big deal. We all make mistakes. It's great. All right. Speaking of screwing up, we are going to start the show off by talking about the New England Patriots losing a game that looks much prettier in the final score than it actually was for most of this. Mm. I think that the two biggest games of the day were Patriots, Texans, and Niners, Ravens. We're going to get to both of those games off the top here, but let's start with the Patriots. I don't want to go too far yes. because it seems like we do this every single year where the Patriots will lose a game or two in November, early December. We'll wonder what's wrong with the Patriots. The answer will be nothing, and they'll win the Super Bowl. Is there anything about their struggles tonight and some of their struggles, mostly on offense, recently that leads you to believe this version of Patriots panic and Patriots problems might be a little bit different? Hmm. Great question. So my entire shtick here was going to be, I was going to let you say Tom Brady was washed and then I was going <laughs> to pretend I had a bad connection and then we were going to move on to the next segment. Okay. couple little history lessons. So the Patriots have been mortal, not every year of their 20-year dynasty, but in most years. So last year, last November, they lost to the Tennessee Titans by 24 points. Before that, they got completely, completely blown out uh, or out, outmatched by the Detroit Lions. Okay. Then last December, they lost back-to-back games to the Miami Dolphins and Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers was the game where it went into... That's where it went into full-blown, like, what's going on here is after the Steelers right. game. And, and, and the big thing with the Miami Miracle was, well, now the Patriots aren't going to get home field. Yep. How are they ever going to beat Patrick Mahomes? So we have short memories with the Patriots. And I think that the one thing that, that I keep coming back to is the Patriots, again, are like a casino. You can beat them 
but they have so many tiny edges that eventually over the long run, they are going to win out. You're going to have games like you did Sunday night. You're going to have games where they took, I mean, you're not actually going to have games because it's never happened before, but this is a situation where there were two team planes because of the flu bug that was going around. So Andrew Callahan reports that the notable sick Patriots included Stefan Gilmore, Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, and Isaiah Wynn. They were warming up as if it was any other game. That's what, that's what Callahan said in his tweet. And so if you were to, before the game to say that those guys were going to be so sick, they were going to be on a different plane, you would say they're going to have trouble tonight. And that's that's what happened. There were a couple things within this that I thought were interesting. And to answer your question, by the way, before we go on, are we worried about the Patriots? Not really. And not not any any more than we were My last answer is year not really. Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And so a couple things. So Mike Reese tweeted this out, and that was really interesting. He said that the first half tonight was the lowest completion percentage of Tom Brady's career, uh, 36%. He's been exactly 7 of 19, which he was tonight in the first half, two other times. But both times, the Patriots had rallied from halftime deficits to win those games. That obviously didn't happen tonight. He did not have a miraculous turnaround. Now, he put up over 20 points and he looked, you know, like generally like a Tom Brady type performance in the second half, but he didn't exactly come out and and dunk on all the doubters in the second half. The wide receivers are a problem. Their offensive identity right now is a problem. You saw on the sideline Tom Brady yelling at his receivers in a way we've seen him yell a lot of times because you know, and this is something to, I remember being in a press conference. He, he like he likes he prides himself on being a tough guy to play with when things are going wrong. And I think Tom Brady is trying to get receivers where they need to be. He, trust is such a big factor for him. He has Julian Edelman and not much else at this point. Uh, Senu obviously drops that that huge pass. Who knows what that does to their connection there? Uh, Jacoby Myers seems to be coming along, but I think that right now their offensive identity is a real work in progress. And you know they had some success, I guess, with the run game. They had some success with Brady scrambling. Maybe they can just start a little read option game. Um, but I don't know. It's right now. I think that. There's there's two ways I look at it. Number one is they have a lot of problems. And number two is that they have, between Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and Tom Brady, the greatest problem solvers in the history of the sport. I thought Michelle Tafoya said something interesting before the game. She was talking about the conversation she had and the, the broadcast crew had with Brady. And he was talking about the things that are most important with offense. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like reliability, consistency, all that stuff. All Tom mm-hmm. Brady wants is guys that where he knows where they're going to be and he knows he can throw them the ball. And with a lot of these players, they're either new or they're rookies. When you think about Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers, the rookies, Sanu just got there. So he doesn't have those factors in place with some most of these guys. But the pass-catching options problem is not a new problem, right? So if we're trying to go down right. the problems that have been new with the pass, that's not. If you look back at what they had last season, you're in a similar boat. No Josh Gordon. It's really just when you think about the degree to which they were relying on Philip Dorsett late last year, it seems like that could be coming back again. I'm not worried about that side of it. The offensive issue that I'm concerned about, and I'm not worried about Tom Brady either. So somebody else can throw dirt on Tom Brady. It's not going to be me. The problem that I think they have on offense right now that they have not had over the last couple of years when their passing game is stalled and they've lacked weapons is they cannot run the ball consistently when they want to. They were fine tonight. Mm-hmm. And they averaged something like 4.7 yards a carry with their backs. I also think the Texans' run defense is not that stout, and I think that they were devoting a lot of resources to stopping the pass because New England mm-hmm. has thrown the ball at an incredibly high rate this year. 
So when you look at the teams, like last year especially, right, that were able to kind of overcome either Brady being a little bit off or their passing game being a little bit off, they could just destroy teams on the ground in December. With their third string running back in there now, I have concerns, or excuse me, their third string center in there now, I have concerns about them being able to do that. They have not run the ball well all season. They're 21st in rushing DBOA. One of those, like you said, they're a great problem-solving team. When they can kind of go back and forth and vacillate between these versions of themselves offensively, that's when they become very dangerous because they have answers to every problem. Now, if they can't turn to the running game when the weather gets bad, when they want to lean on it late in the season, do they have as many answers on offense? The answer will probably be yes, but I do think that's a slight difference from the team we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, so Tom Brady, this is also via Mike Reese, Tom Brady was averaging 3.25 seconds to throw. He had not had a game at any point this season averaging more than three seconds to throw. So obviously, the passing game was a little bit disjointed tonight. As you said, the resources were put towards stopping that. And I think that, you know, I've done so much. I mean, I've, I've been obsessed with Tom Brady and his success over the past, you know, seven years since I started covering the NFL. And you learn all of these anecdotes about Tom Brady and what a science he thinks pass catching is. And I remember talking to someone like Tony Gonzalez is a good example who worked out with Brady in the offseason. And he used to talk about how if Tom Brady would throw a 30-yard pass at UCLA in the summer and it was half an inch off of where he needed to be, he was so mad at himself because he thought that if it were, he needed to be in, in exactly the right place for yards after catch to be maximized, stuff like that. I mean, just, I mean, Brandon LaFell told me the story. I, I talk about it all the time where he would throw the ball into the sun at just the right angle, just so the receiver gets used to staring into the sun to catch the ball on a sunny day in Miami or something, stuff like that, right? And I think that the more he goes on with pass catchers that he is not accustomed to, the more I think that he he gets he gets frustrated and they have to figure that out. I don't know how you figure out that chemistry. I don't know if that's practice. I don't know if that's just um, you know throwing throwing these guys as much as you can in games to figure it out. I don't know what the answer is. Um, obviously, he was extremely frustrated two weeks ago in that press conference. I think a lot of people talked about it. The body language police came out. I think Tom Brady will figure it out. But I think for a guy who sees throwing and catching as a science like he does, um, having – a, a depleted receiving core, and I think that's that's kind of what you'd call it right now, is is a huge problem. As I've said, as you've said, the this has been overcome before. It will be overcome again. I still think the Patriots are probably going to be in the AFC Championship game, and I think that, you know, I wrote this last week, I think the season will come down to a handful of plays against Lamar Jackson. That's it. That will be, we, we talk all over and over again about all their flaws and their holes and how do they score points or whatever. I think this is an historically good defense when they're not, they don't have a, the flu. And I think that they will pl- go into Baltimore probably because they're not going to have home field advantage and they're going to have to play situational football against Lamar Jackson. And there will be maybe four five, six plays that will determine whether or not they are better than the Baltimore Ravens. That is it. I think so too. And I think they'll end up getting the two seed. If you think about the path that the chiefs and yeah, they still, they still have the chiefs. They still have the chiefs next week. Even if Kansas the city Patriots. beats them, then the Patriots would have to lose again and the chiefs would have to win out. I, I like the Bills. Oh, right. The Bills are playing well. I still don't think the Bills are going to beat the Patriots in New England. So I think that the Pats right, will probably get the that. number two seed. 
The only thing I'd say about the defense, I completely agree with you. I think they'll be fine. And we can get to why I think the Texans played well in a second today. The weakness they've had over the last couple seasons when a team makes them do this is that their linebackers struggle in coverage. And we saw that today. You know, Van Noy had a rough moment on that touchdown to Johnson, and then Roberts had to tackle him in order to stop another touchdown. So a team that can kind of hammer them in that area over and over again, I think that's one of the better ways to go about attacking them. So if you can find a way to get those guys single in, get those guys in man coverage against a pass catching back, I think that's a really good recipe. But outside of that, I think the defense will be absolutely fine. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to Houston. Nice win from there tonight. Yeah, I, I, I really, I, we, were, we were talking on Slack a little bit, me and Ben and Meg, just about what we want to write tomorrow mm-hmm. and everything else. And Ben was asking me about the Texans. And I said, I think the Texans are a frustrating team with an incredibly high ceiling. That, that's how I feel about them. It's how I felt about them for most of this season. And I think you saw the ceiling tonight. You know, when you can have Fuller, I know Fuller didn't pull that touchdown in, but it almost did. When you have Fuller and Stills as your two and three, and you're playing against a team that plays a lot of man coverage and they're double teaming Hopkins on pretty much every single play and you have those guys manned up, this is a team that can take advantage of you, of that because you have Deshaun Watson that can make plays outside of structure. You have a guy that can make plays down the field. You know This team can really hurt you based on the overall pass catching talent they have, especially when they get Duke Johnson involved. So this is the type of Texans team I think is in play every single week. We just don't always see it for certain reasons. And I think a bit, one of the bigger reasons this year is that they haven't had stills and fuller for most of the year. You know, this is the first time in Mm -hmm. six weeks, neither of those guys were on the injury report. Is there any impulse for you to put the Texans right now in the AFC contender group that we talked about every single week, or are they still a couple low for you? They're still a couple low for me just because I don't think they have the guys on defense. I know they played pretty well mm-hmm. against a struggling Patriots offense today, but you talked about how long Tom Brady had to throw. Their pass rush is not very good. You know, I know they got a decent game out of 54 today. I can't remember his name. Um, one of the guys they got in the Seahawks trade, he showed a little bit of juice as a pass rusher, but without Watt, I think they really struggle. It was nice to get Roby back, obviously, at the really huge pick six. So oh, Jacob Martin, uh, that is the guy's name. I'm sorry. I'm getting so old. Uh, the Getting Roby back was nice. I think having some consistency with the personnel in their secondary is going to be big for them, but I still just think that their defense is a problem. And their offense, it's it works in fits and starts, let's be honest despite the talent that they have, they've really had some stretches this year where they haven't looked that explosive. But I do think at their best, they're very frightening. And the amount of times where Watson seemed to be on the same page with Hopkins when they saw a pressure look coming, that's something that didn't happen last season and didn't happen early this season. They've really figured out how to attack teams when they're going to bring a ton of heat after them. And I tweeted, it's like the happy learned how to putt moment for them. If they can Mm -hmm. do that, then I think that they have answers to a lot of problems. So while I think their ceiling is very high, I still think they have the lowest floor of all of these teams. That's an interesting thought. Um, I think that for me, first of all, I thought it was really, really interesting. I think it was the Ian Rappaport report this morning that J.J. Watt might not be done for the season. It's huge. If that's they can get really him back, it's a, that's a game changer. That's a really interesting wrinkle for for January. I don't think that's the difference between them being the fourth best team in the AFC and the first or second, but I think that's a really, really interesting thing to have hanging over the, the next month of the season. I also think that when I think about the elite talent they have, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, still throw J.J. Watt in there, I think about how many steps forward they'll take in the offseason with a new GM. Oh, wait. Do we, I would, do we really want to get into this right now? Do you really want to upset oh, me? 
Let's just do 30 seconds on it. Go. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I, yeah. I talked to people who know more about this than me earlier this morning, and they were just kind of talking about some of the reasoning behind it. And I, I get some of it. And I, I guess the final conclusion is that with O'Brien and Easterby running the show, they think that they can do things in the Patriots mold that wouldn't require Casario. But how many things have the Texans done personnel-wise over the last year that the Patriots would do? Zero. They have done none. The Patriots would not do anything the Texans have done over the last year. And I get that it's not one guy running the organization. You have a director of player personnel. You have the same cap guy you've had for a long time. But you need someone in the building that tells the head coach, don't do this. Because a coach's motivations and the motivations of a general manager are often competing. The coach only cares about getting the best players on the field right now at the expense of the franchise's long-term health. And do you really want a coach picking the players in free agency? If he has final say, he has final say. It doesn't matter what kind of process leads up to the moment where that decision is made. You still have someone that is ill-equipped in that side of the NFL to be making decisions about a team that has a top five quarterback on the last year of his rookie deal. I don't think they can get anyone because so much of the power currently resides with O'Brien, and that was probably the mistake at the beginning, but this is still not how a contender should be run. That's it. That's my rant. Okay. Did you think that's fair? I think everything's a little overblown. They have cap guys. They have, you know, uh, we're, I'm mostly joking about the extremes of this, although the Clowney trade was not all that encouraging about this. They'll... They'll be able to to kind of do business as usual. I just think that is not having a GM better than having a bad GM. Yes, but I think that there's you know there's five, six, seven, eight guys in this league who are GMs who make a real, real difference. And if you get one of those guys, and and you can get one of those guys, you can find those guys. It, it, you know, it, it's easy to to sort of figure out who the rising stars in front office um, in the in front offices are. And I think that they're doing themselves a disservice by not trying to find one of those guys. That's what that's, that's I feel the exact same way. I think this is a really good team. I think that they've gotten good players. You know, Tunsil is a good player. The Jeremy, Con, Jerry and Conley having him on the roster and seeing what you can get out of him with most of his rookie deal paid for. I understand all that. If we had seen a year where this current iteration of the structure in Houston had done a good job, then I wouldn't care if they had a GM who gives a shit. But they have not done a smart job. They, they have consistently not found value. And to keep rolling like this, I don't think is good for the long-term health of your franchise. It's the, Having a GM probably is overblown. But when you're trying to be one of the best teams – the structure currently in place there is not giving you the best chance to win. That's all I'm saying. I have a big, big announcement. Bill O'Brien said that Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins came up with that trick play they ran. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah, we should talk about that. That was that was enjoyable. I like that a lot. I don't like Deshaun they Watson diving for touchdowns. Watson, but Watson, Johnson, and Hopkins came up with that on a piece of paper. And they handed it to Bill O'Brien. So what exactly does Bill O'Brien do here? <laughs> I think Bill O'Brien's a pretty good coach. I really do. I think that maybe, I think maybe this should just keep happening for the rest of the season. I, I think Bill O'Brien does a good job as a head coach, but also I don't think a head coach should be your GM for any other team except no, the he's, Patriots. He's I really a fine, don't. he's a fine coach. He's a fine coach who shouldn't have that much power. 
That's exactly right. And a couple other coaches, you know, John Payton has a lot of oversight in New Orleans. Andy Reid has a lot of oversight in Kansas City. The good coaches do, but they also, I, I mean, in New Orleans, it's a little murkier, but in Kansas City, they still have a general manager and they still have a smart general manager, which I think is a good way to typically do things. Okay. Hey, is it, Let's mur- go to is the it other- murky in New Orleans? Is it murky in New Orleans because one of the front office executives also runs the basketball team? Do you mean the, the general manager also runs the basketball team? Yes, I do think yeah, that's the, why it's the, a little bit murky. That Mickey Loomis is just randomly talking about basketball in 25% of his press conferences? That's yeah, strange. I, I, I think that hey, is indicative works. that he's probably not making every decision about the football team. Hey, dude, they got Jeff Ireland. Just bring, it, bring in the heat. And he's done a good job. I think that since he's gotten there, their personnel decisions have been very good. I tweeted this on... Thanksgiving night, I said that when's the last time they made a serious misstep when it comes comes to the players they chose? Value is not always their strong suit. They, they have kicked the can down the road with their draft picks and their cap for the last like decade. But the players they've picked have worked out pretty consistently since they missed on Kobe Fleener a couple of years ago in free agency. That's really the last one. So good for Jeff Ireland. Good for Sean Payton. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like this, it's no wonder four out of five employers post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. R-I-N-G-E-R-N-F-L. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their head, some embrace hats. But what they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting room. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help and today, Roman is giving Ringer NFL show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. All right, very quickly here, because I don't know if we need to linger on this just because I don't didn't learn a ton because it was kind of an ugly game and an ugly weather situation in Baltimore. What were your takeaways from Ravens Niners? And do you think you learned anything substantial about either team today? I don't want to say I learned anything, but I I came away maybe with a renewed appreciation, one I have already had in the past, but maybe I I lost a little bit because of Lamar mania 
of how good the Ravens roster is and how good their infrastructure is. And you start thinking about somebody like Justin Tucker, who we've forgotten is just historically good at kicking the ball. And he wins that game. He might be the best kicker ever. When you look at the, when you look at the top three in the AFC, that kind of thing matters. Them playing a game in the rain, kind of a weird game, creating turnovers, you know, forcing Jimmy G to fumble, whatever. I mean, Jimmy G, like he was trying to give the ball away on some of those passes today. Listen, Marcus Peters didn't play the best game he's ever played. Uh, Earl Thomas had some weird plays there. This was not the dominating performance you've seen the last couple weeks from the Ravens offense or defense. But I came away impressed that they can win these types of games. Um, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not surprised by anything with the Ravens at this point. But I came away with it with a new appreciation for some of the some of the uh, supporting cast, I would say, for Lamar Jackson um, that maybe I hadn't thought about in a month or so. That's a great point. And them being able to keep Tucker almost in bubble wrap, he was pretty much like a PAT kicking robot over the last month or so. They barely needed him. They also have some of the best uh, punt unit coverage, both punter and coverage in the NFL, and they never punt. Having those weapons is going to matter when you have to play on the margins like we talked about with New England. This is going to seem like a silly point. But it's something that has kind of come to me over and over again as I've watched the Ravens and definitely did today when they weren't dominating, but they were still doing enough. They're a very hard team to stop from getting 10 yards on four plays. And when you do stop them from getting 10 yards, they're still able to put up points because they have Justin Tucker. And I go, that's boiling down the sport to its simplest terms, but it's really hard to stop them consistently because they're just really good at creating positive plays in every single facet of the game. They were that one play, I think it was probably in the second quarter, where they stopped Baltimore on a third and two. and It was like it created a fourth and two. And I was in a bar full of 49ers fans, and they were all cheering. And I'm like, all right, what? guy's easy they're gonna go for this <laughs> you didn't stop yeah, them and they're gonna get yeah, it and that was the completion to nick boyle and that's the thing is that they just are so good at being able to churn out 12 yards in four plays and at its essence that's what the game is about and they create tons of explosive plays and obviously they have that side of it but every time you think you have them they seem to wiggle away Sometimes with Lamar Jackson, it's literally. Sometimes it's figuratively when it comes to a game you think you have in hand, and they just have so many ways to kind of kneel you and beat you at the end. And that's what we saw today. So uh, again, not the most impressive performance from them, but in terms of just being a juggernaut like we've seen in recent weeks, but it it was impressive in some other facets. Just remember, there are a lot of players in that team who are holdovers from a franchise that had to win with Joe Flacco. So just and that, that comes with a lot of different moving parts. Okay. I saw a couple of things I thought were interesting. Number one, did you know this was the most the winningest quarterback matchup in history? In terms of what? In terms of a winning percentage, yes. Yeah, the winning percentage, 84% winning percentage for both these quarterbacks. I mean, that just speaks to kind of putting the individual talents aside. Lamar Jackson's better quarterback than Jimmy G. But that just speaks to the infrastructure and and coaching talent on the field as well. I mean, like that's you know Lamar Jackson's the MVP and and he's done a great job. But he also, as we talked about, has a has a really good supporting cast. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. I also thought you know Kyle Shanahan is the play action god. But Next Gen Stats had this when Lamar Jackson used play action on Sunday, he got four point two yards of average target separation. When he did not use play action. 
he got 1.8. And I think that this goes, to, again, to the Greg Roman offense and, and doing all these little things we don't talk about enough. And I think that if we talked about which quarterback is using play action most efficiently on Sunday, you'd probably thought it would be Jimmy G. Uh, but Lamar Jackson used it just as well. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. He's using it on the season at a 58% clip. And I just think, again, it's just every single week I come away impressed by Greg Roman. Yeah, it's on the season. His play action numbers are actually worse than his non-play action numbers, which is a little bit surprising considering their offense. He's completing 4.9% more of his passes with without play action, and he's averaging 0.4 yards more per attempt without play action. That was before today. So maybe those numbers mm. will shift a little bit, but they use play action a ton. I think if you look at the numbers right now, the only guys um, that have used it more are Patrick Mahomes and Marcus Mariota, according to PFF. It's a huge part of their offense. So it's not surprising to me. I mean, Shanahan might be the play action. Uh, Jimmy G is at uh, eighth at 30.2. So yeah, he may be the play action God, but the, the Ravens use it a ton because they're an efficient football team and that's what efficient football teams do. Smart teams do smart things. Who would have thunk it? All right. Let's get to a surprisingly smart team. Stock up the AFC wildcard teams. Let us start with the Tennessee Titans because they played today. Pretty weird game. I mean, it's obviously you look at the final score. It's 31-17. The Titans, it seems like it's a really impressive win. Uh, in reality, this was a 17-17 game with five minutes left, and they won because Adam Vinatieri is bad now. Why is Adam Vinatieri still playing? I don't know. It, it, it's been a big problem. He missed two field goals today, and he had one blocked that swung the game. And I know that's not technically just his fault, but usually blocked kicks are more on the kicker than we tend to think. And we tend to think just because of trajectory. Chris Wessling had this Derrick Henry's last 16 games, 1,725 rushing yards, 20 total touchdowns. I like the way the Tennessee offense looks right now, man. I just think I like the way it's assembled. Because they just have so much size with their skill position players. I think A.J. Brown is going to be a good player. I really like him. Humphrey's got a little bit involved today. I think he's a good slot option for them with a real quarterback. And Henry's just such a battering ram. Their offensive line's pretty good. And their defense, I, I don't know what to make of them from a talent perspective. I think they're okay. I really like the way they're coached. I mean, this is a team that is probably going to make the playoffs right now if you're looking at it. I mean, would you pick them over? Obviously, you know, uh, the Bills are the number one wildcard team. The Bills are pretty much in at this point. But outside of that, is there anybody you think would get in over Tennessee? It doesn't seem like we're going that way. Can I say something? We keep doing this where like two weeks ago, we said the Raiders were going to make the playoffs based on their schedule. I, I, I'm I'm... I'm so tired of being wrong about who the That's AFC totally wildcard teams are going to be. I mean, That's the Steelers totally look really, really good. Nah, the Steelers are probably the other team, right, after today. Re really good being relative. Really good for playing what amounts to a third-string quarterback and, and all that. So I think that... I think that the AFC wildcard race is equal parts confusing, exciting, and ultimately, you know, whoever gets it will lose by three touchdowns in the... I think so, too. Weekend. So if let's say... I think Pittsburgh's the other team I threw out there. That's, and we'll get to the Steelers in a second, but... Uh, but no, I listen, I really like this Titans team. So do I. They, I mean, this, this is... They are being the best Titans they can be. I think so too. And I'll be curious to see what happens with them. I think we, I, I always try to spin things forward a little bit more than I should. But I think with the Titans, they didn't expect to really be here with Tannehill. It's almost like a lucky accident. 
So I, I'll be curious to see what they end up doing next year. You know, they have like 37 million in cap space. They're going to carry a lot over. So I'd assume they end up somewhere around 60, but they're going to need to figure out what they want to do with their quarterback. So a good chunk of that is probably going to go to Ryan Tannehill. And we'll see what they are outside of that. I think they could use another playmaker on offense. This is probably Delaney Walker's last season. They save almost $7 million against the cap if they cut him. So I would assume mm-hmm. that he's gone. Can they find a playmaking tight end? Is that something they're looking for? Because for the most part, the rest of that offense comes back intact. You have some young playmakers over there. I, I will be curious what they look like a year from now. But if they bring back Tannehill, I think the overall kind of structure and, and format of what they look like at this moment, it's pretty good. I, I, I can't really argue with it. And that's the first time I've been able to say that about the Titans in a while. I don't want to go total revisionist history here and say Ryan Tannehill was some great quarterback and we should have seen this coming. But I will say that the number one thing with Tannehill was always health. And he played yeah. well in spurts in Miami when he got some some momentum, when he was healthy, when he got to string a season together. He played well. And I think that the fact that he's healthy, he's thriving, I don't think we should be totally shocked by this. I don't think so either. I think he's a talented guy and I think that there is a nice infrastructure around him right now. And being able to lean on Henry mm-hmm. the way they can, play action game, some of the young pass catchers, it makes sense. It's not super shocking, but I still think he's playing better than I've ever seen him. Play. I mean, I, I was not expecting him to I didn't get this see shot it coming. Well. I didn't, yeah, I, I'm not, I didn't predict it certainly. And I thought that maybe when he got this starting job at, Matt back, it might go at some point back to Mar- Mariota. But I just, you know, it, you, if you put the puzzle pieces together, he had a rating. three times in Miami over 90. It wasn't like he was, he was Bortles here. Um, He just, he just, you know, played in a weird franchise and some weird infrastructure with some weird weapons. And we didn't know Devonta Parker was the best receiver in football until he played the Eagles today. (laughs) We'll get to that. All right. The other AFC wildcard favorite that we should probably mention and stock up here is the Buffalo Bills. I know they played on Thursday, but it just seems like we should talk about that game. And the Bills were one of those teams where they beat up on everybody that was bad, and we still weren't sure how good they were. And they went in, and they beat Dallas convincingly in Dallas in that game. What do you think about the Bills right now? I think they're well coached. I think Josh Allen is good enough to make some plays, and I think that they made Jerry Jones cry. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good little <laughs> Thanksgiving day. important things. I I agree with you on all fronts. Uh, I think that they're extremely well coached on both sides of the ball. This is a name we did not throw out last week on the show when we were talking about possible head coaching candidates. But I think on Tuesday, I think Brian Dable's done an awesome job. His ability to kind of bring Josh Allen along the way that they have, I think that the structure of their offense makes a ton of sense given their personnel. Mm -hmm. I I do think their staff has done an impressive job all around. We've talked all the time about how the defense is coached. I think they're a top five pass defense, which makes you dangerous in any game, pretty much. They're still a year ahead of where they of their projected timeline. And I think that's important to remember when, when we consider the Bills. I know that Bills fans probably think this is some magical season, and in a lot of ways it is. And maybe they keep riding this way and they keep getting better. And Allen keeps making plays and they knock somebody off. But they are trending so hard in the right direction. I know it's scary to say that sometimes. Because we want to ascribe some linear progression from these teams that's not always there. But I do think the pieces are in place for the Bills to be on that path. Because they still have a ton of money. 
to spend next offseason. They still have a really young core that they're not going to lose much of from next this year to next year. So I do think another step forward is possible for them. But even if they don't take one, uh, this team looks really good right now. They are still mathematically alive for not only the AFC East, but the number one overall seed. That's how, I know. You know, obviously they're not going to get, they're not going to get either of those, obviously, no, but it's amazing to, to think about, of course, but it's amazing to think that they are so close behind the Patriots that in week 14, they are still going to be eligible for those things. Yeah. And I just think that Josh Allen has done so much fun stuff. I think that he's getting consistently better, which is really fun. It's just been fun to watch his progression. He's struggled with the deep ball this year. It's the last thing they need from him. But did you see that throw he had where he stepped up in the pocket? I tweeted about it. It just, yeah, I mean, I that is just a rocket shot. And to be able to deliver that accurately, and I know that that's not what quarterbacking is necessarily, but it just seems like he's flashing more and more. And, you know, I went up there to talk to him about just playing the position and how you get better at it. And I came away so impressed. And to watch that approach he's taken translate to success on the field it's just cool to see it's cool to see a guy want to get better and take those steps to getting better and i know he's like 24th in qbr or whatever and that's fine he's not a perfect quarterback he's really had some areas where he struggled this year but this is a team last season that without a historically bad cardinals team would have had the worst offense in the nfl by a lot so to go from that to where they are right now, that's a serious step forward. And that's all you want to see from a young quarterback. You just want to see the guy get better in tangible ways. And he has done that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been hugely impressed. And, you know, I think that any conversation in which we talk about who the best executive in 2019 was has to include Brandon Bean. Because some of his moves were just absolute home runs. I mean, even the ideas behind them, he knew what he had to do. Whether that was, uh, you know, getting better at the offensive line with Mitch Morse, getting more weapons for Josh Allen, getting more veterans. You know, he really believed in the power of, of Frank Gore um, in that offense. So I think that it's been a masterful team building job, masterful coaching job. And is Josh Allen going to be Patrick Mahomes? Certainly not. But I think that. No, he's been as good as Josh Allen can possibly be in 2019. The John Brown, Cole Beasley thing, I think it's a great one-two punch. They play well off of each other. I like the ideas there. I think that the outside of the Morse signing, just throwing as many darts as you could to try to find starters along the offensive line and do it cheaply. You know, Quentin Spain and John Feliciano aren't superstars, but they're functional starters, and they got them for pretty much nothing. They just tried to do it. It's another bad analogy here. As many dice rolls as they could at that spot to try to find a group that could work together. And they've done that. It's They've done an excellent job building this team. And again, they have one more go around next year to try to add the, f- the few final pieces. Hopefully you can get one more step forward from Allen and have this be a potential contender. So we'll see what how much noise they can cause over the rest of the year. But I do think that they're trending very hard in the right direction. All right, one more stock up in the AFC wildcard picture. The Pittsburgh Steelers, man. I I don't know if you saw this, but I can't remember which defender it was. I want to say it was Cam Hayward was talking about how Tomlin just drew up a new defense at halftime. Yep. I, what what Mike Tomlin has called done this straight, year is impressive. Straight high school. Yeah, it. and that's and that's what it is. And I feel like what Mike Tomlin has done with a third string quarter with second string quarterback and then a third string quarterback for this defense to be as consistent as it has been. And for them to kind of give the Browns so many problems in the second half today and stay alive in this race the way they have. we got, I wrote them off. I thought that the Fitzpatrick trade was silly. I still don't know if I totally agree with it in terms of long-term outlook. 
because I didn't know how good they would possibly be. If they were picking in the top 10, you don't want to give that pick away. But they're not. They're a seven and five team. They could potentially make the playoffs. Yeah. And I just never saw that coming. I think I agree with the trade by now. I mean, seeing what this this team looks like now, it's amazing me. I think it was, you know, I've seen a lot of people make this point, but I think Colin Cowherd made it most succinctly on Sunday, where he basically said, This is the best Browns roster of the decade. And they got beat by a a dire straits Steelers team down to Duck Hodges as their quarterback. And it just shows you what a good franchise can do against a, a franchise that is not a good franchise. Okay. Good franchises matter and ownership matters and coaching matters and GMs matter and all this stuff. And I think the Browns are still, you know, I think they're, they're going to be able to recover from this season, but I think that you, you just see the infrastructure and the difference between these two teams when a uh, duck Hodges slash Mason Rudolph slash one game of Ben Roethlisberger in which they got destroyed uh, team is probably going to make the playoffs and the Browns with their really good roster talent and a quarterback who looked like he was the future of the sport this time last year and a really good GM they're they're just not good enough and I think that's a it's a real lesson on how long this takes on how long it takes to turn a franchise around and I mean there's a million things we could talk another hour about what what this season for Browns football says about a lot of things about football. But right now I'm learning that the Pittsburgh Steelers are the organization we thought they were. And at this point, the Browns aren't there. Yeah. Baker Mayfield started off 10 of 12. There are a few deep incompletions late in the half when they were just trying to chuck it down and see what happens. One of those, he hits his hand and I believe Cam Hayward's face mask and was, did not look the same for the rest of the game. He was wearing that. Glove and, and just their passing game went to shit. And I also think that the Steelers made a couple of really nice adjustments. What do you think about the Freddie Kitchens t-shirt? Do you have any comments? You know, I went to University of Miami and I kind of have to support any brash showing that is, you know, kind of psychological warfare. I think that there were some very funny t-shirts from the Steelers end. It wasn't like this was limited to just Freddie Kitchens wearing a funny t-shirt. Um, it was like a, you ever go on a beach vacation? Everybody's got funny t-shirts. It's kind of like that. Like where, where did, where did we all decide to get funny t-shirts for this game? Um, so Except he's an I don't NFL know. head coach. <laughs> I don't really care about it, but uh, people seem to be upset. Everyone's doing their own thing. I, I saw some ex players who were upset. I'm okay with it. You know, you kind of, the more you learn about university of Miami football and how many kind of ridiculous moves teams pulled before games and Miami stole my 50 points. You know, you kind of, you kind of learn to shrug this stuff off. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, a lot of people were upset about the Texans coming in whatever bank robber outfits they had today. And then they end up winning the game. So I, I don't really mind it, but all right, one more here with stock up. Let's talk about the Bengals getting their first win. Great job. Bengals. Good job. Andy Dalton coming back. All-time touchdown leader in Bengals history, which if he hadn't gotten that because they benched him and he was two touchdowns away, I can I did not know that was a part of this equation. That would have been such a cold, cold move. What's up with the Jets, man? I don't know. The, the Jets are so weird. The Jets have beat up two teams in consecutive games and then they come out and they get destroyed by the Bengals. I don't know. I cannot get a read on this Jets team. I have no idea. They've lost four straight games outright when they're a favorite. They've not done that since 1994 when Pete Carroll was the coach. So maybe they should just never be the favorite. Maybe they should just boy petition Vegas to never have them be the favorite. 
I got to tell you something, Mace. I don't think they're going to have that problem anytime soon. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Not. I mean, that was that was a tough one. It, it it was. I just I just don't know. I mean, congratulations to to Zach Taylor. I mean, I thought this was. I, I didn't think this was possible. I didn't think it was either. Dalton played okay. I mean, he, I, the touchdown pass he had, the first one. I mean, he was just rifling it in there with absolutely no regard for who is around, which again, if you're Andy Dalton at this point, what do you have to lose? You're already dead. You might as well play that way. So good for the Bengals. Uh, you're already, do you think his, do you think his wife is on Zillow for Chicago right now? I, I hope she is. I will be very okay. If he's the quarterback next year, even though now Mitchell Trubisky is playing too well. So it, watching that bears game on Thursday was a tough experience for me because it was fun to see them win, but he played very well in the second half. And it, it People have been talk- People have talked themselves into quarterbacks for less than the second half of the game that Mitchell Trubisky had last week. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. This holiday season, immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. Enjoy speech enhancement mode, a unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice, perfect for when characters whisper or the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Plus, play carols and more when the TV is off. If you're hosting family and friends, Sonos works with all your streaming services. And control is simple with the app, Apple AirPlay 2, and your voice using Alexa or the Google Assistant. You can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. Guys, I I cannot tell you how great a gift Sonos would make. I use it as a speaker in my living room. I use it as my sound bar. I plan on parking in front of the TV, watching a bunch of Star Wars movies all December, and I cannot wait to get the quality, the clarity, everything I've come to expect from my Sonos Beam. I also have the Sonos Move speaker. I plan on using that all throughout the holidays while I'm hosting people. Being able to have a centralized system for your home and being able to use Sonos in all of these capacities is why I am a dedicated Sonos user. So go to Sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping. All right, let's get the stock down here. What the hell is happening with the Philadelphia Eagles, man? What was that game? I mean, I can understand that their offense has been playing well, but just to get lit up by Ryan Fitzpatrick is so bizarre. I don't really know what to say here. Both of us picked the Eagles to win the NFC. Over the cap pointed this out in the middle of the game. They are. They basically have the most valuable roster in football. They've tied up $222 million when measured by new money. And they can't beat the Miami Dolphins. And listen, was it a weird game? Yes. Was there a punter to kicker touchdown? Or was so it, beautiful. Was it punter to kicker or kicker to punter? I, I think it was punter Whatever to it was, kicker, right? It was it was new, and I'd never seen anything like it. And I think I would love to find out if it, I guess I'd love to find out what that Colts play a couple of years ago was supposed to look like, because it it seems to me that Dolphins play was the perfect the perfect way to go about that sort of play. If you're the Dolphins, that's the type of stuff you should be doing right now. Because who cares? Just do yeah. that stuff all the time. I, I it's fun as hell. Did you see the video of Christian Wilkins, the first round pick, literally laughing at the Eagles after that play? No, that's great though. It's really good. I mean, like, like exaggerated laughter, exaggerate, like, like laughing, belly laughing. It was, it was, 
it was perfect, and it kind of sums up where the Eagles are right now. So a couple of things. Number one, the Giants play the Eagles on Monday night next week. Are you excited? I am so excited. God, what a terrible Great. game. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is now thrown. <laughs> it's from the NFL. Ryan Fitzpatrick has now thrown a touchdown against the Eagles with seven different franchises. He's the first player to ever throw a touchdown with seven different teams against one franchise. So congratulations to Ryan Fitzpatrick. That seems like just the prototypical Ryan Fitzpatrick st- statistic. I can't even believe that. To play for seven teams is amazing. To, to throw a touchdown against another team with seven different teams is almost impossible. We've talked about the Eagles' long-term outlook so often on the show over oh, the last God. month. I don't really have any interest in retreading that territory. I'm sure we'll get to it later. When when we spend years talking about whether or not Devontae Parker is going to break out and your secondary is so bad that you single-handedly stop years of conversation because he has broken out, that's a problem. I cannot wait for Devontae Parker to be next year's deep sleeper in fantasy on whatever team he's playing because after this game, it's almost a guarantee. It's unbelievable. Listen, he has not been a massive bust this year. He had the game against the Bills a couple he's weeks ago. He's super talented. He's been fine. Yeah, he's been fine. He might get 1,000 yards this season. But 159 yards, two touchdowns. I saw this, and I can't believe it. This, this sums up the Eagles' relationship with explosive plays, okay? Devontae Parker had two receptions of over 40 yards, giving him six plays in the season. The entire Eagles roster has five such receptions combined all season. Devontae Parker has more big plays than the Eagles. Something is wrong. And on that note, let's move on. Stock down. Carolina Panthers and the Kyle Allen experiment. We all good with this now? I think this is over. I, I don't even have notes on this. I, I just, Kyle Allen stinks. So I, the Kyle Allen part of it is not interesting to me. I, I think that was probably always in the cards just because he's a backup quarterback and backup quarterbacks, you know, water tends to find its level. That's, that's how it works with backup quarterbacks. When you have to rely on them for a long time, it's probably going to end up hurting you. And Kyle Allen's probably a backup quarterback. The relevant part to me about this Panthers outcome is what it could mean for the franchise. Because you have Tepper by the team last year. The people, the people in place, whether it's the quarterback, the head coach, and the GM, are not people he picked. Could you see a just a clearinghouse situation for Carolina this offseason based on what has happened over the last month? Would that surprise you? Here's what we know. We know David Tepper likes analytics. Yes. We know he wants to get a little more forward thinking as far as that goes. I think, and, and this is just me, I have no information on this, certainly no information in the last couple of hours um, about what he might do. But it would seem to me, knowing what I know about David Tepper, knowing what I know about his feelings on football, that it's possible he tries to, even though he's made some hires as far as analytics goes, maybe he makes a move in the front office and and lets them decide on the coaching staff. Sure. And maybe that's what happens. I I, I don't know. Do you clear out a coach like Ron Rivera without thinking about it and then just, you know, start totally over. I don't know. I, I I think that maybe Ron Rivera gets the benefit of the doubt, at least initially, and Marty Herney doesn't. I, I Again, this is, it is a tough, tough situation. I think that if you're going to keep anybody, it would be Ron Rivera and you give him one more year to prove himself with, an, with another the beginning of a regime. We've seen that before. So I don't know. I mean, this was... This was weird. I also think that it's, you know, in general, listen, Cam Newton was really banged up this year. It was a weird season. And I understand Christian McCaffrey 
you know, looked historically good at points, but I think there's a real limit on on how well you can play if a running back is is propelling your offense. So I don't know. I think that it's there's a lot for David Tepper to think about. I think that I would probably keep Rivera and maybe try to get a little more numbers focused stuff, the, the kind of emphasis he's put on on the game since he bought the team. Maybe maybe you make a move in the front office that way and and, and then kind of go from there. I think that's probably right. I like Ron Rivera. I think he's a good coach, but it's it's more about whether David Tepper sees this as an opportunity to start over, whether then I think Ravon, Ron Rivera, whether then whether I think Ron Rivera is a good coach or not. So that that's those are two different conversations. And you saw some of the plays today. I mean, Kyle Allen, Curtis Samuel had a wide open touchdown that he missed. It just feels like a new quarterback is going to matter a lot for this team. I don't know who that new quarterback is going to be. You know, we've seen the reports that it's most likely not going to be Cam Newton. If they think Cam Newton is healthy, I actually think it might be a good idea to keep him based on the, some of the other options that could be out there. But that that's a conversation for a different time. I do think uh, hitting the reset button in Carolina is a possibility that might not have existed maybe even a month ago just because of the dynamics there with the owner. I, most coaches that have done what Ron Rivera has done would deserve to keep their jobs. I think he probably does, but there's just a lot going on with the moving pieces of that franchise at this moment. Okay, one more stock down. Nick Foles got benched today while playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Do you know what the cost to cut Nick Foles is per over the Thirty-three count? million dollars, baby. Yikes, dude. I think that they just try to give him away for whatever team is desperate enough to take him. I think you do a late round pick swap and you hope somebody takes him off your hands because then you only owe him, I think, 15 million. If you have somebody else, uh, is it 15? No, excuse me. Then you'd owe him 20 million. What's my math? 19.2 million. 18.75. Sorry, <laughs> it's six point. You good, what, dude? What's six? What's six point two? It's it's eleven thirty five p.m. here. What's six point two five times three? Eighteen point seven five. Correct. I I have no. I, I you lost me. That's what they know him because that's his signing bonus that's left. You'd have somebody else try to take that fifteen million dollar base. Can you give well, him away for what, a seventh whatever, round pick swap? Is the is the question? Whatever the exact numbers, it's bad. It's not. Good. Let me translate the numbers. It's bad. Cutting him. Give him away in a pick swap. Cutting him would be a disaster. Minshew, at this point, it seems to me Minshew is legitimately better. And even if it's close, even if it's relatively close, I think that you have to go with him just because of the price difference. He's making next to nothing. I would almost guarantee that we will have a new coach in Jacksonville next year. I just think they're ready to make a change there. The question to me will be, who is the what is the front office making this decision? Do you roll yeah, with the right. Coughlin Caldwell partnership? Because I don't think it's worked. So Coughlin, I, from from what he's been saying, reports have basically framed it as he hasn't really committed to coming back next season. And so, do they do the thing where where Dave Caldwell gets bumped up again and see oversee something? Do they give him another chance? It's I, I I don't know I mean or, or maybe Coughlin comes back I don't know the answer to that all I'm saying is there's probably going to be some changes because it looks to me you know Ramsey gets traded they get that nice haul this seems like the end of the cycle for the for the Jaguars and I'm I'm not totally sure where they go next at the end of the cycle is the right way to frame it and I think that's why you should try or you should at least consider trying to start over in a lot of ways it, it's not they probably can't 
get a ton of money next year. But if they cut Marcel Darius, which they're almost certainly going to, it saves them $20 million mm-hmm. on the cap. If they can trade Foles and they save $15 million there, then you consider how much do we really want to hit the reset button. Because if you get rid of Campbell, which I he's a fantastic player, but you'd save $17 million by doing it, then you're sitting at about $32 million, $35 million in cap space with a GM who now has two extra first-round picks. So you can kind of start over there. There is a way that you can give a new guy – and God, if they cut Jake Ryan, they make $6 million. There are some cuts. So <laughs> if you really want to start over, you can start over. And I think with Jacksonville right now, that's the move. You you roll with Minshew and his you know 400 grand base salary or whatever it is, and you try to build a team around him with the pieces that you currently have. Losing Campbell hurts, but I do think that you have to do something drastic. Also, Ngakwe is a free agent because they've decided to screw that situation up royally for the last year. I think you franchise tag yeah. him at the very least. But then, of course, you, then you start running out of money. Well, they've had this problem in the past. Yeah, they certainly have. That's what happens when you build your team through free agency. Sure is. All right. Challenge flags. Let's hear it. So I was going to do a Phil Rivers rant, and I just I just don't want to do it. Just don't I just do it. I, I, it's so late. Just I, don't, I don't ruin my the, night. I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy for it. I mean, because it's it takes a lot because the Chargers found a new way to lose that was unique. And I kind of wonder if that loss was so unique in the sense that, you know, they it, it comes down to special teams mistake, not Rivers mistake. I wonder if it kind of breaks the cycle. It's like Groundhog Day where everything's going to be totally normal for Rivers going forward. Like it wasn't the same exact loss he's had a hundred times in his career. Maybe, maybe it's it's the start of something new. Having said that, uh, my actual challenge flag is the entire AFC, excuse me, NFC East, which is on its way to being one of the worst divisions in a number of years. Michael David Smith said that the 2008 NFC West is the worst division in history, a 30, a 344 winning percentage won by the nine and seven Arizona Cardinals. The NFC East has the chance to break that record. Daniel Jones continues to be awful. 11 interceptions and 11 starts, 10 fumbles lost. Dave Gettleman, Pat Shermer are now seven and 21 in their Giants tenure. Ben McAdoo is significantly better. Giants and Eagles are next Monday night. And I need to read you this quote, Doug Peterson on losing to the Miami Dolphins. Quote, that's a good football team. It sure is, Doug. What are we going to do? Can you tell me who had the best record in the NFL in 2008? Uh, Not the Steelers. Not the Steelers. Not the Steelers. Uh, I'm going to guess the uh, New Orleans Saints. The Steelers were 12-4 and that year, so they were pretty good. Okay. Not the New Orleans Saints. The Saints were actually eight and eight that season in a stacked oh, NFC, a stacked NFC South. The answer is your Dallas th- Cowboys. No, sir. You're thirteen. <sighs> You're thirteen and three. Jeff Fisher led Tennessee Titans. Ah, uh, that is perfect. That is perfect. Where were you in 2008? Uh, I was a junior in college. I, As was I. I had just gotten back from. I did the semester before that in London, so it was my first semester back. That's when I started working at the paper. The Wildcat Dolphins. Wildcat Dolphins. Yep. It was, it was a fun year. The San Diego Chargers won the AFC West that year at 8-8. Eight eight. At 8-8. Eight eight. 
Yeah, the Steelers were twelve and four. That this Steelers defense was nasty. That's when the Steelers Ravens rivalry was at its peak, at around two thousand eight. It was a great year. The Dolphins went eleven and five. That was the huge turnaround they had with uh, picking Jake Long first overall. That they, they, they would they go oh, the year yeah. before one I wrote, fifteen. I wrote. I wrote five thousand words on it a couple couple years ago, a couple months ago. Um, yeah, they that were was, one and fifteen, and then they 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 went eleven and five. That was Matt, Matt Ryan's rookie year. That was the Matt Castle year. Yeah. Yep, I remember watching week one of that season in uh, Buffalo Wild Wings in Missouri, and that I remember watching the Bernard Pollard situation and just seeing the Patriots' chances theoretically crumble and then never crumble, which is a good way to wrap up this podcast. I was covering the two thousand eight Dolphins while I was in college for the Sun Sentinel. And I don't really remember much about that team. The 07 team was so much more memorable because they were so awful. Yeah, the 08 team, I don't really remember who well, any it was of because the players Parcells, were. Parcells, I mean, I remember who the players were, but Parcells cut all the personalities. Like anybody who was funny or interesting, even like Jay Feely, he was like, you guys got to go. And then he just brought in like. Oh, Pennington Jason was Ferguson. the quarterback. That's right. Chad Pennington yeah. was the quarterback, Ronnie Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And like. Yeah, it was a few holdovers from the 07 team. Your your Greg Camarillos, that crew. That Patrick was year Cobb. two of Ted Ginn. <laughs> 790 I that was yards. Last forever. 790 yards led the team. All right. Wow. As always, as we said, it, the, the Patriots seemed like they were done that year, and they certainly weren't. And if the Patriots seem like they're done they now, they went 11 and they, 5 they with Matt weren't. Castle. Yes, they did. And Randy Moss was still very good. All right, I was going to throw a challenge flag on the pass interference rules, but we ran out of time. And honestly, at this point, I, I also can't muster the energy. It's week 13. It's 11.42 p.m. I've gained 10 pounds this week. It's time to go I'm to on bed. The east, I'm on the East Coast. I'm an hour ahead of you. That's why I couldn't do the Phil Rivers rant. Well, welcome to my life, man. I always do this on Central Time. Usually, you do it on Pacific Time. It, it's not very fun. Well, that's why That's why, That's why. why we got we got Daniel Jones rant instead. That's it. It's fine with me. All right, that's all we got, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll be back on Thursday. This holiday season, immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. I'm going to use Sonos this week as I decorate my Christmas tree, listen to Christmas music. There's so many different uses for it. It is going to make the perfect gift for everyone in your life. So go to Sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping.